Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer our medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning. How are you, Laura? Doing well. Thank you for joining us by phone this morning. Dr. Evans, appreciate your flexibility in making that happen. You bet. We're going to be spending some time talking about whatever our listeners want to talk about. If you want to give us a call uh, with your questions, 605-692-1430. Uh, But I also wanted to take some time to reflect on this week's Prairie Doc essay was an essay written by Dr. Ken Bartholomew. He's a physician in Pierce, South Dakota, and a great friend of the Healing Words Foundation, of Dr. Holm, and of the Prairie Doc programs. Uh, He wrote, as a physician himself, um, he has obviously a lot of knowledge about cancer screenings and protocols and treatments, but he's also had personal experience and um, writes about how grateful he is and was for early detection of, of cancer screenings. So Dr. Evans, I was hoping today we could spend some time talking about different types of cancer screenings and recommendations and when different screenings are appropriate for different individuals. Sure. Yeah, that sounds good. I think Dr. Bartholomew's essay is a, he highlighted prostate cancer specifically, um, which is a tough one. Our data on prostate cancer screening is not very black and white, and um, and he, he alludes to that. He was the beneficiary of an early detection of prostate cancer. Um, but I think it's, it's a good reminder that our screening guidelines aren't necessarily particular to every individual patient and can be impacted by things like uh, family history, other medical history, and some of the patient's preferences. So having a, a primary care provider that you can discuss those things with is still really important. Right. You know, uh, in some ways it feels like it'd just be natural to be like, yeah, let's do all the screenings. Let's just right. check and make sure. So what are some of the reasons we sometimes choose to not do a screening, or yeah. maybe you would not recommend having a screening. I, th- I think that's absolutely true. I think especially in, in sort of the United States and our medical culture, our, mm-hmm. our everybody's baseline assumption is that the more testing, screening, et cetera, the more the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some re- reasons that there are downsides to screening. I mean, I think a lot of people think of screening as a no-downside thing, but that's probably not true. Um, so, you know, prostate cancer screening with a, with a PSA test is a good example. You can also think of a lot of examples with uh, mammogram screening for breast cancer is a, another good place to find example. And the big downside to a lot of screening tests like that are what we call false positives. And, and you can lump in these terms of overdiagnosis and some of these other things that are a little more advanced. But, I mean, a lot of people, so a lot of women that I take care of, for example, have had an experience with this. Um, so this might mean 
um, on a mammogram. Something found on the screening mammogram that wasn't there last year or looks suspicious. Um, and what that means next is that maybe the patient has to come in and get another mammogram or an ultrasound or both. Um, sometimes that puts it to rest and the extra imaging says, nope, this, this is a benign thing, no, no further testing needed. Um, and then the downside is, you know, a couple things. You know, it's the extra tests. Um, it's the anxiety in that week or two between um, the tests getting done um, and, and that kind of thing. Sometimes those things even lead to biopsy or more procedures um, for things that maybe weren't going to be clinically important after all. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a nuanced discussion to have. It's kind of, it, it makes screening, which we're, we try to make screening guidelines very simple. It makes it more complex, but I think that's the reality of it. It's not, it's not 100% black and white, and that's why you'll see, you know, even different medical societies will have slightly different screening recommendations, and that's just because it's a little bit gray in places. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to be going to our first break shortly. And so if our listeners have questions about different types of screenings related to cancer or any other medical question that you would like to ask Dr. Evans this morning, you can give us a call now at 605-692-1430, 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address and get your name entered into our monthly summer drawing for one of Dr. Holmes' books. Again, that number is 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Tobacco can lead to tobacco, nicotine dependence, and serious health problems. Quitting smoking has immediate as well as long-term benefits for you and your loved ones. Make the decision to be smoke-free. Stopping smoking is associated with many health benefits. If you smoke, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 784-8669. Or call the Avera Medical Group Brookings for help to quit smoking today. 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. During these summer months, if you call in with a question, you will be added to our monthly drawing for one of Dr. Holmes' books. So give us a call now at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, before the break, you um, brought up prostate cancer as one of those screening procedures that uh, is worth a conversation to consider. Tell us more about what goes into, what do you tell patients or discuss and ask patients when you're considering whether or not to do prostate cancer screenings? Well, you know, sometimes it depends on the patient um, and and their sort of where where they stand on, on things to start with and what questions they have. When it comes to prostate cancer, um, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20 years ago, the societies were recommending annual PSA screenings for men of a certain age, and, and that actually changed based on some updated data showing that doing that, we don't have any empiric evidence on a population level that it actually decreases prostate cancer deaths, um, which is ultimately the goal of any screen cancer screening program, right, is to decrease um, the major events that people will have from a cancer. If we're not doing that, then then maybe it's not a worthwhile endeavor. I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot about prostate cancer that makes it more complex. So, and, and Dr. Bar- Bartholomew talked about his specific cancer. 
you know, the, the vast majority of prostate cancers are slow growing, um, and ultimately, especially as a man gets older, are unlikely to be the, that per, individual's cause of death. Now, there's a small percentage that are more aggressive, and sounds like Dr. Bartholomew's cancer was one of those types, but you can't know that until you've actually done biopsy. You can't know that, you know, a PSA test doesn't tell us which type of cancer it is, which makes it hard to, you know, give people advice. This this PSA doesn't tell me whether, even it actually doesn't even tell me whether you do have cancer, for one. You have to have a biopsy to do that. Um, and certainly a prostate biopsy is not a small deal, so some men would rather avoid something that um, leads down a path of potentially doing some of those procedures and that kind of thing. So, I mean, family history can, can certainly sway, sway my perspective on this. If, if a man has a father or a brother or multiple male relatives who had prostate cancer, then it, it, it may be more likely to be beneficial to do that in sort of middle age. Um, for most people, we really don't recommend doing it after, um, for sure, 75, just because, honestly, if you start looking at, at men over 75, you'll find prostate cancer in a very high percentage of them. And like I said, a lot of those are not ultimately going to be clinically meaningful. They might never cause that person a problem. Okay. So at what age do you maybe start having these conversations with men? Yeah, I mean, so I try to get family history, you know, even if I have a, a guy that comes in when they're 30, um, I ask about prostate and colon cancer family history because those might um, alter my recommendations for if and when to start screening for those cancers earlier on. Um, in the absence of family history, it might be something that we talk about around age 50 would be an appropriate time. Okay. All or right. 45 when it comes to colon cancer, too. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you about colon cancer next. Mm-hmm. So let's talk some about that. What yeah. what goes into to considering when we should be considering colon cancer screenings and yeah. uh, what options do we have for those? Sure. So colon cancer screening, it we have more clear evidence that routine colon cancer screening does prevent death from colon cancer. So that's a, a little bit easier conversation to have across the board with all patients um, just because of the the population level evidence that we have on that. Um, We've talked multiple times on this show that just in the last year, the screening guidelines have moved up from starting at at 50 for average risk people up to starting at age 45. Mm -hmm. And that's just because we're seeing some more advanced cancers um, in in patients right around age 50, um, just epidemiologically. Um, but we do have several options. Um, colonoscopy is probably the most frequently chosen option, and the nice thing about that is that if a precancer or a polyp is found there, it can be removed and kind of just taken out of out of uh, possibility of growing into a cancer. But we do have some other options for people who really prefer not to do colonoscopy as their initial choice. Um, so those generally are stool tests which tests the DNA in the stool for mutations that are associated with cancers and precancers. Um, and depending on which one of those you choose, you could do those every three years or every one year or something like that. Um, it just depends on exactly the precise one that you choose and how it's been studied. So there are alternatives to colonoscopy as an initial screening test. Now, that's for average-risk people. So what makes you not an average-risk person? There's a few things. One is if you've had a first-degree relative who's had colon cancer, so that's a parent or a sibling who's had colon cancer, that automatically removes you from average risk, and so those people we generally recommend colonoscopy only and at a higher frequency. 
Um, and then if you've had precancerous polyps in the past, that also takes you out of the running for doing something like a, a stool DNA test. Um, colonoscopy would be recommended for those people. Okay. Yeah, it is fascinating to me that the colonoscopy is not only a screening, but also can help remove early signs yeah. of that's kind of a, yeah. a unique feature as far as a screening test goes. It's not, you're right, it's not just a test. It can be therapeutic at the same time without any extra risk per se. Right, right. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We did get a question that came in, and it'll be a great time. If anyone else has a question they want to call in, we'll give you a chance to do that now. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. And get your name entered into our summer monthly drawings for one of Dr. Holmes' books, 605-692-1430. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Everyone should have smoke alarms and carbon monoxide detectors in their homes. Carbon monoxide is an odorless, colorless gas that can cause sudden illness and death. Take a few minutes to ensure your alarms are in good working order. Replace the battery at least once a year. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. And as a reminder, we can get you added into our monthly drawing for one of Dr. Holmes' books. This is our final Wednesday in July, so this is your chance to get entered into that drawing, 605-692-1430. We've been talking today about um, colon or colon cancer and prostate cancer screenings and some other types of screenings and what goes into making those decisions. And we had a question come in, Dr. Evans. This question says, has have blood tests become more targeted or they or can they be more targeted towards figuring out what the problem is so dr well, evans how do we it, use blood tests and what are they most helpful for yeah well i mean that's a that's a pretty loaded question because when you say blood tests it, i mean there are probably thousands of blood tests that mm-hmm. we have the capability of running and that's anywhere from you know checking uh, a patient's sodium level in their blood versus doing, you know, a lot of genetic testing that's done is done with a blood test, for example. Um, and, and I would call maybe genetic testing maybe a little more specific. But I think the, the broad thing that I would say about that is that there's really not a situation in which I would say it's beneficial for any person or patient to just go and without a lot of thought being put into it, have, quote, any sort of blood panel done, if that makes sense. Um, we, when we choose to do blood testing, um, we choose precisely which blood tests we want to do based on what the problem being described to us by the patient is or what our suspicions might be. Um, so it's very specific to the situation, generally speaking. Um, 
and I, I guess I'm, I, I, I struggle to know exactly what this caller, um, if they're asking about any specific types of blood tests, Laura. Right. So, yeah, so it sounds like it can, it can be very targeted, almost so targeted that um, it's not broad. <laughs> you need, you need right. to be looking for a specific problem. Or, um, Precisely. Yeah. There, yeah, there's a lot of areas in medicine in which some testing, be it, be it with a blood test or with, you know, for example, um, mar- genetic marker testing on a, a piece of tumor that's sent to the lab, that has evolved for sure um, and, depend- and, and somewhat evolves with our evolving knowledge about certain medical conditions or about what therapeutics might be available um, for certain problems. Um, and certainly genetic and genomic me- medicine has evolved. I mean, you can certainly go and get get your blood taken and get it run for a huge panel of, um, you know, genetic markers and things like that. But the question is, is it going to help you? Um, and, and that's that's a question that requires a little bit more thought about what exactly we're looking for. Um, so I think a hard question to answer is a general question. Right. Yeah. Are blood tests used for cancer screening? So the PSA test is a blood test. Okay. So PSA is a is short for prostate specific antigen and that's just a a protein that uh leaks into the bloodstream that that tends to come primarily from prostate tissue. Um so so yes, uh, that is a blood test that's an example of something that's used in cancer screening. That's the only sort of widely accepted one for cancer screening purposes. Now, now PSA testing is absolutely useful in patients who do have prostate cancer and they're being monitored for whether that cancer is progressing. For example, there are a lot of people who choose not to immediately act on their prostate cancer and they'll just watch the PSA level. Or if they are getting treatment um, to see if that um, prostate-specific antigen is detectable, if it's going up, if it's going down in response to treatment. Um, so, so that's a marker that is used for screening, but it's sometimes maybe even more um, useful as far as cancer monitoring. And there are other examples of proteins like that for specific cancers that get monitored with a blood test after a cancer diagnosis, but are not useful as a screening test. Okay, very good. We've had a couple more questions come in. Love okay. getting those. So thank you, listeners. And if anyone else wants to call in with a question, you can call in now at 605-692-1430. Uh, let's see here, Dr. Evans. I'm just going to read this question once. Um, there is a, a woman, 70-plus years old, had a hysterectomy with both ovaries removed, and she's having hot flashes. Is this normal or something else going on? Yeah, good question. I mean... So I guess I'm, I'm not sure when the ovaries were removed. Um, so the, when it comes to hot flashes, of course, that's a very common symptom of menopause in, in women who go through menopause, what I'd say naturally, meaning um, most women in their late 40s or 50s, their, um, their ovaries will stop making estrogen and that, that absence of estrogen can, can result in these, these hot flash-like symptoms. Now, anyone that has their ovaries removed surgically can go through the same sorts of symptoms, and depending on the age at which that happens, um, it it may be very much like menopause. Um, Some women will have those symptoms forever. A small percentage of women will have hot flashes that, that don't ever go away. A lot of them will have them for a handful of years, and eventually they get better. Um, so certainly it's a common 
symptom of sort of either the ovaries naturally not making estrogen anymore or them being removed. Other things can cause that. So, for example, thyroid disorders can cause symptoms like that. So if, I always say if they're new symptoms, um, it may be worth a conversation with your doctor about whether there's a new cause of that. Okay. So just because we have a hysterectomy and have our ovaries removed, you may still have hot flashes. Yes. Okay. I mean, and that would be expected sort of immediately after having the ovaries removed, assuming the ovaries, it depends what age, right? I mean, if, mm-hmm. so if she just had them removed at 70, I would assume that she had already gone through menopause naturally, you know, however many years ago, and then you wouldn't have a new estrogen withdrawal. But if she had them removed in her 40s and just has continued to have hot flushes ever since then, then that may just be a continuation. So I would need a little more information about that. Okay. So it sounds like it's worth maybe just doing some follow-up and yeah. learning more about that situation. With- and the other thing about that is there are some things that can ha- like if those if those hot flushes are disruptive, you're waking up 10 times a night because of them, then there are things that we can do to at least make those a little bit better with medications. Um, If they're not so disruptive to life and they're livable, we don't always recommend doing something about them, but again, worthy of a conversation. Okay, all right. Uh, Another question here, Dr. Evans. How old do you recommend continuing to do a colonoscopy? This person happens to be 87 years old. Yeah. Um, So I would say that's, again, it's an individualized thing. It depends a little bit on the overall health of the individual um, and their risk. Um, So, for example, um, an 80-year-old patient who has severe uh, lung disease, and I'm not particularly worried about colon, I probably wouldn't recommend that they just do a screening colonoscopy. Whereas an 80-year-old patient who otherwise is quite healthy but had some concerning polyps three or five years ago, it would probably be reasonable for that person to undergo colonoscopy again. I would say at age 87, the, the numbers of patients that I would recommend do a screening colonoscopy would be pretty low um, just because of that advanced age. That being said, um, there are other reasons to do colonoscopy that aren't just screening. So if, if new things are going on, new bleeding, um, new anemia, things like that, that might make a person consider to do um, a colonoscopy regardless of age, depending on the circumstances. But that wouldn't be a screening colonoscopy. Okay. Just reminds me, these conversations about screenings just remind me about how important it is to have a relationship with a physician that you yeah. see once a year or more or less, depending on your situation. So you can have these conversations like what age should I be getting a colonoscopy when should I be wrapping this up or um and just having that history with that physician so you know each other they know you you know them and you can I think that's so true Laura I mean not only because there's a lot of these details that can go into decision making but also because I think in some situations there are there are um you know reasonable people who might you know, both be 80 years old and have the exact same history and exact same circumstances, but one would choose to do the screening and one would choose not to. And sometimes that's reasonable. Sometimes it's it, personal preference can play a role in this. And so I think having someone who knows you well and can guide you through those decisions is really important. Right, right. 
All right, well, it's time for us to go to our final break. If you want to call in with a question, give us a call now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address and get your name entered into our summer monthly drawing for one of Dr. Holmes' books. So you can give us a call at 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Drinking and driving is a threat to everyone. Did you know that every day about 30 people in the United States die in a motor vehicle crash that has involved an alcohol-impaired driver? This amounts to one death every 51 minutes. Driving drunk is never okay. Choose not to drink and drive and help others to do the same. And remember to buckle your seatbelt every time you are in the car. The Avera Medical Group Brookings is concerned about your health and safety. Please call 697-9500 if you have health concerns. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We've been talking today about a variety of different cancer screenings and the decision-making process when we uh, consider whether or not to do some of those and when it's time to do some of those. Dr. Evans, I want to talk about cervical cancer and what is recommended um, for cervical cancer screenings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so cervical cancer screening, cancer of the cervix in women. Um, So this is sort of the standard pap smear is what we've done for many years and actually um, rates of cervical cancer in the U.S. really have plummeted as a result of pap smear screening, which is excellent. Um, So, but but that has evolved. Actually, guidelines changed on this maybe about eight or ten years ago, um, which is partly because we're now able to test for HPV pretty easily, so human papillomavirus, which is the virus that causes pretty much all cervical cancer and precancer. Um, so current guidelines for women are for everyone to start at age 21. Uh, so before this change, we used to say a year after starting sexual activity, um, so we were, we were screening a, a lot of younger women, but now it's 21 across the board. Um, and then uh, we've actually spread out you know, we used to do this in every woman every year, and now it's every three to five years depending on her age. So if you have a normal pap smear at 21, you go for three years. If you're over 30 and you have normal pap smears, you might get to go five years in between because we're also doing um, HPV testing there. So there have been changes. It'll be more frequent if you've had any abnormal pap smears um, for, for good reason. But the result of this is that we're doing less aggressive treatment of cervical precancers that it turns out maybe were not all necessary in young people who tend to clear up these precancers with their immune system. Um, so good overall for women. But, you know, for, for women who lived through a lot of PAP every year, um, it, it's kind of been a mental adjustment. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. You just got used to expecting those every year. So uh-huh. then, yeah, now you can take a break for a while. Yeah, sometimes you can if you if you are well. Right. Um, so which is which is good and um, again good results. We we have a lot less cervical cancer now than we did in the 1950s and 60s for sure. Yeah, Dr. Evans, we had another question come in um, that I want to get to real quick before we have to wrap up related to hot flashes again. What if you still have your ovaries 
and have had hot flashes for over 30 years. Can yeah. anything be done? Yeah, so this sounds like one of these unfortunate people who have had, you know, maybe close to lifelong menopausal symptoms after menopause. So there are things. So we, there are things, um, as some, some medications that we try a lot of in, in first line, we try medications that affect serotonin in the brain, which tends to um, help with sort of temperature regulation. But there are other things. You know, we use, way back in the day, a lot of women would go on actual estrogen hormone for this. We try not to do that because there, um, there's just more adverse effects from that. But we have a lot of choices. Again, if it's debilitating enough that you'd want to try medication, you should talk to your primary care physician or your gynecologist about it. Okay. All right. Nice to have options, right? That is really great. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for these questions today. And thank you, Dr. Evans, for this great information. Uh, Things for us to think about as we consider cancer screenings and recommendations. Before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. This week on Thursday, July 28th, we will be rebroadcasting the show, Cancer, Facts Over Fear. Prairie Doc Kelly Evans-Hollinger is joined by Dr. Heidi McKean with Avera Medical Group Oncology and Hematology in Sioux Falls. They answer viewer questions about a variety of cancers. So tune in tomorrow night on SDPB Television to learn more. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, Stay healthy out there, people.